0: Hello everyone, it's May 15th, 2018. Yes, it's a Block 5 episode. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? We saw a first stage liftoff and it could do it again without too much fuss. And No Fuss Spaceflight is an historic event. So let's do a No Fuss podcast and liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 158 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. How are you doing, David? All right. Well, I'm as well as can be. So, can you guess what I wanted to discuss this week?
1: Uh, SpaceX.
0: Besides that, yes, we're going to do that. That's uh, that's a given.
1: Uh, Mars.
0: Sure. Okay. No. I think you know. Since, you know, we had to have some, just a little bit of banter at the beginning, why not do a little bit of complaining about uh, maybe a recently canceled television show that I was very fond of, me and a lot of other people. Oh,
1: I forgot. Well, see, I was so focused on on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which got picked back up. Uh, by NBC. But, yeah, why don't you go ahead and whine for a little bit because you were way, way more into that show than I was.
0: Okay, you're right. I was more into it, but you're still pretty into it too, though, right? I mean...
1: Okay, so we're talking about The Expanse, and I really liked the books. I didn't... Re- I wasn't crazy about the TV show. I haven't even finished watching the last season.
0: Wow, see, so so that's different. Yeah, because I am a huge fan of the show. I think it's just extraordinary when you have good sci-fi on television, and I'm very picky. Mm. And this Yeah, is that's like, true. This is one of the few instances when it was done well and very well. I mean, it is critically acclaimed, and there's no one who has any complaints about it, really. But, you know, it had to get canceled. And I'm not going to complain too much, really, because fans of these types of things tend to get very upset with the network. But it's not really the network's fault. They have a bottom line financially, and you have to have a certain level of revenue, and they just weren't making it. But hopefully it will get picked up. I know it's going to be shopped around, like people are talking about maybe Netflix or Amazon. So... It might come back for a fourth season through some other network or maybe Netflix or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's just really disappointing. I wouldn't be
1: surprised if Netflix picked it up because Netflix has said that they're going to focus on sci-fi and fantasy for their originals Mm -hmm. in the future. Well,
0: that's what I heard. But then I heard a counter argument that was that they already have so many of those, you know, like in the works that there's no reason why they would pick up one more. And this, again, is a pretty high budget production. But I think they should do it, obviously.
1: Well, I I was really hoping that Netflix was going to pick up Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, apparently, Hulu um, turned them down. Like, they, they went to, to Hulu first, and they're like, no, eh, we're not going to do it so NBC, until uh, NBC decided to take them. But I was really hoping it was going to be Netflix.
0: Well, well, you just have so much more freedom on. Uh, Netflix, because yeah. you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, like all the regulations that go with the network. Uh, but, you know, so I've never watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, actually. I'm way out of the loop there. Um, I mean, it looks interesting. Yeah. I just never got around to it.
1: Did you watch um, Parks and Rec? Uh,
0: some yeah. of it. I've, I've watched a few seasons. I, I'm not like a devoted fan, but yeah. The same creators. Yeah. It kind of seems to have that vibe to it.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like a grown-up version, but yeah, it's very, very similar joke style. Um, a lot of the time.
0: So I guess if there's hope for Brooklyn 99, maybe there's hope for The Expanse. On to, I guess, better news. Let's move on to this week in Spaceflight History. What winners do we have this week? It looks like quite a few.
1: Yeah, we have a, we have a good handful. So Ian Soddy, Chris Radcliffe, Lucas Moore, Fell Knight Mike Carper, who's a new name, and Valentin Frank, all guessed correctly. Congratulations, folks. This week in Spaceflight History is May 20th of 1978. It was the launch of Pioneer 12. Or some people also called it a uh, pioneer Venus one, which <laughs> doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really work well as a name for me anyway. So this is um, a pretty standard-looking Pioneer spacecraft. Uh, it's 2.5 meters or 8.2 feet in diameter and 1.2 meters or 3.9 feet tall. Um, it's got a solar array around the outside. A um, oh, 7.4 meter boom. I think that's I think that's 15 feet. Uh, this long old boom for a magnetometer, and then of course an integrated solid rocket motor uh, for Venus insertion. It's pretty cool that you know there used to be days. Where we would send solid rockets into interplanetary space. We don't really do that anymore. Uh, Unless you count parachute mortars as uh, solid rockets.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you can count a mortar as a motor, as close as they are in pronunciation.
1: Uh, Anyway, so so Pioneer 12 got to Venus and entered orbit in December of 1978, and it returned data for 14 years until October of 1992. Just uh, a fantastic... Lifetime of effort. Um, The science that it did was pretty cool. I I can't name everything obviously, but um, some experiments that really struck me were they uh, studied the vertical distribution of clouds. You know, by like vertical from the surface of the planet. You know, it's Venus, so everything has to be done looking through clouds. You know, on Earth you don't have to do that. You can do Earth observation. By just waiting for you know sunny days we don't always do that but it's not like you're forced to do that for all of your data collection so they did um, vertical cloud distribution uh, surface radar you know this is some of the first real uh, mapping of the surface upper atmosphere composition um, they actually had i think a spectrometer on board so they could actually you know sniff the atmosphere they also did an upper atmospheric drag experiment where they put the spacecraft into the upper atmosphere um, kind of like how maven works i mean not not that deep obviously but uh some study of the atmosphere direct study of the atmosphere so the clue for this week was something about um you know expecting a mission to go study one thing and then they always you know turn around and squint in the sun to look at something else and so what i was referencing there was the uh 1p haley comet pass Uh, of 1986, or uh, perihelion of 1986. So during that perihelion, Halley's Comet was on the opposite side of the Sun from Earth. I mean, almost exactly the opposite side of the Sun. And luckily, it was the correct side of the Sun for Venus. And so uh, Pioneer 12 was able to stop looking at Venus for a little bit and turn around and make some observations of Halley's Comet. And of course, this is the first time that Halley's Comet uh, dipped down to the inner solar system uh, during a time when humans actually had observation platforms in space. So uh, we sent several missions out to go look at it. It's really cool that you know we're even, even able to borrow some time from, uh, from another mission. So uh, yeah, this was 1986 and Halley's Comet uh, passed within 0.27 AU of Venus. That's Super, super close, relatively speaking, and during perihelion it was only 0. 0.4 AU away uh, from Venus. So what did uh, what did Pioneer actually do? Well, the main thing I, I linked to uh, a paper actually uh, that Mike Carper pointed me at. I appreciate that. I, I linked to this paper, and um, this paper in particular is looking at a decomposition of the comet. And so what they did was they they were looking to see how much of the comet is flying away from it as it's, you know, heating up in the sun. They measured hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon production, as well as water production. And they were able to actually quantify how much of these uh, elements and chemicals were coming off of the comet. And one of the interesting things they found was that the quantity varied on a 7.4 day cycle, which is Halley's sidereal period. It, it's, it's rotation relative to the sun. So that tells you that different parts of the comet uh, decompose at different rates as they're heated, um, which I, I think is super, super cool. And this was one of the very first real confirmations of the dirty snowball theory. Um there were two other probes that contributed way more than Pioneer 12 did. But you know, this is all kind of the body of data where we're beginning to understand what comets are actually made of and and you know therefore guess where they might be coming from. And that's super exciting to me. I, I think that's really cool. And I think it's amazing that we live in a culture or or in a in a civilization where we're able to borrow these resources back and forth. You know, we don't send spacecraft out to do one thing and one thing only. They're, they're able to be a little flexible. Even as, you know, as rigidly constructed as they are now, uh, they can still have a little bit of flexibility there.
0: And, of course, um, the Pioneer Venus Orbiter did a lot of science with Venus, which, you know, can't be overstated because uh, I, I guess at the time we didn't really know much except for what you could pick up yeah. spectroscopically from Venus. Yeah, and there was uh, just a whole host of, you know, various Instruments. And so this was, it was very useful. You know, penetrating uh, Venusian clouds is, I guess, impossible. Well, de- <laughs> uh, depending on what, it's very, what instruments very you. Yeah, depending on what instruments you have, but yeah, I mean all kinds of things, some of which I'm not too familiar with. But uh, it had a, a plasma analyzer, uh, a magnetometer, as You said uh, an orbiter, electric field detector, just all kinds of things. Uh, a gamma ray burst detector and a cloud photopolderometer. What is a cloud photopolderometer? I don't know <laughs> I, what that I think is. that's
1: the uh, looking at the vertical distribution of clouds. I think that's what that experiment does. Okay. And they they intentionally shot some of their radio transmissions through the atmosphere to do some spectroscopy like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very cool.
0: No evidence of a giant ring, right? All right, well what is our clue for next week then?
1: All right, next week in 1973 the clue is book sets that don't match. This is kind of a vague clue, but like you see these pop up every once in a while. Um like in particular, I remember Monk the TV show with Tony Shaloub who and he played um, a detective with OCD. They changed the style of the DVD cover. Um, So there were two different editions and one had like a photo above the text and the other one had the text above the photo. So like if you bought them and weren't super sure to buy from the same edition you'd have these DVD cases on your bookshelf and one of them would be like all wonky which was particularly funny because of the OCD
0: is that why they did that because i was just thinking that would probably annoy me
1: i think it just was oh we're making a new edition like let's make a change so that you can tell which one is which since they weren't necessarily all sold together you'd buy you know each season individually well like this happens with book sets all the time when you have you know a set of books and they have a very distinct visual uh style or they're you know supposed to match up on the spines when you put them into the bookshelf and then you know sometimes like one of them is going to be wrong because they like changed publishers halfway through or something like that so, so that's your clue i'm sorry it's it's nebulous
0: all right so next week in 1973 uh, book sets that don't match once again no idea but if you think you have an idea go ahead and give us a tweet with the hashtag this week sf and good luck Block five finally lifted off, so SpaceX had a successful launch on uh, Friday, I believe it was, right? Because Thursday there was a last-minute, a last-minute abort, and I don't know if we know why that was.
1: It, it was a ground systems abort. I'm sure there's more details out there somewhere, but I, I wasn't able to get a lot of time to to go find them. But yeah, it, it was not a problem with the rocket. It was um, one of the ground systems wasn't behaving properly, and so the computer decided to chicken mm-hmm. out.
0: Um, but on Friday, it all went perfectly. Um, I watched the video, the live broadcast. Um, since then, I've been trying to get some really good pics of... That first stage, because obviously that's what's so interesting is that there are these small changes, and um, we'll talk about some of them, some of which I didn't even know about, but it looked good, Uh, and this first stage, right, is this, this is a couple, like a few meters taller, is it not, than the previous version? It has an elongated first stage or possibly interstage
1: i don't think it's actually stretched out um the the interstage might be taller but i don't think so
0: okay so yeah we have a rundown of all the things uh i guess from the press conference that was held with elon musk i can't find any video of that so i guess this was just something that was done over the phone and then we have transcripts because i really wanted to hear him talk about this
1: um yeah so in the uh, the the link to the spacex subreddit um there is an audio link it was over the phone and it was really uh, a poor connection from pretty much everybody involved um so luckily the internet ftw on github posted a a gist um the the transcript as a, a a text snippet basically um so i didn't i didn't take notes on everything just on some of the things that really kind of struck me a lot of the questions were okay what's actually being upgraded in block five and the answer was oh a lot of little tiny things and now let's talk about performance numbers and not like the answer that you and i want which is oh well there was this one bolt that we thought had to be a smaller diameter because uh, the clearance was too low, but we actually were able to make it a bigger diameter to match everything else. And so that means that, you know, like we want to hear those little tiny things. But yeah, notably, they increased the thrust by 8%, which is insane. And they're kind of doing it, but not really. Apparently, they might have uh, extended the length of it. I don't, I don't think that's the case because um, uh, full thrust or yeah, the, the full thrust upgrade was the one that stretched it out. And I don't think that they've stretched it since then. But definitely a new interstage. They switched to the new grid fins for real. They upgraded the legs. They upgraded the octaweb, like all these amazing changes that are all incrementally getting closer and closer to... Real true reusability.
0: I think the quote is what upwards of about a hundred times, but um, at least ten times without like any major refurbishment or you know having to service it in any way. But for right now, they are going to make sure. And so one interesting thing is is that obviously this first flight of the Block Five, they're they're going to take apart this rocket uh, because they have to confirm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that it right. doesn't need to be, you know, inspected. So they have to inspect it to make sure that it doesn't need to be inspected. I think is what Elon said.
1: Yeah, one of the right. One of the questions was when is this particular booster going to refly, and Elon's like, ironically, not for a long time. Yeah, um, and that that feels good, honestly. So one of the big upgrades that they're doing is not just upgrading parts, but they're installing more and more and more sensors because part of what allows you to confidently turn around a vehicle quickly is knowing how well it performed. And so by absolutely flooding this rocket with sensors, they can basically get the rocket's opinion of itself without having to um, do dismantling so the the timeline for this you know this is in elon time so we'll we'll see when these things actually happen but he expects by the end of the year to see block five boosters that have had three to four reflights by the end of next year he's expecting to see boosters that have had 10 reflights and uh next year he also wants to go for the you know the guinness yeah record Uh, where they do a 24-hour turnaround, which um, most of those 24 hours are just moving the rocket from the landing pad back to the hangar and then back to the launch pad they are only going to be able to do this 24-hour turnaround if they are doing absolutely no refurbishment, just refilling the thing. And so the challenge here is not uh, how quickly can we refurbish, it's how quickly can we actually shuffle our feet, you know, at walking speed, how fast can we get it back to the place it needs to be?
0: I'm assuming that that means that they have to have two launches scheduled within 24 hours of each other, right? So do they know that?
1: Well, Elon believes it's true. Uh, Yeah, Dan in the chat suggests maybe Starlink is going to be a good candidate for you know one or more of those launches i think that's i think that's very reasonable but yeah the the 24-hour thing is is more of a hey look we can really do it thing i mean that's impressive that's really cool but just as impressive would be just a reflight without any refurbishment like even if that takes a week to you know move it around if if they say hey we haven't opened a single panel on this thing you know that Mm -hmm. that's what the real feat is there
0: yeah that's amazing just to contemplate that because i we all have our doubts and hopes and then it slowly you know creepingly gets better and better and this this is going to probably subvert a lot of expectations and you know break a lot of records i mean it's still not bfr but it's like that much closer to something that's just truly that i wouldn't have thought possible i guess even maybe even six or 10 months ago or whatever you know like I and I still have my doubts but I don't know I guess now I guess um I have far fewer of them so 10 reflights without any refurbishment yeah uh, I suppose so I mean, we'll have to wait and see if that actually happens, but it seems as though that's on the verge of happening now. So one thing we know is that uh, they expect to maintain a fleet of 30 to 50 vehicles just at the Cape,
1: possibly. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't super clear if that meant uh, Cape and Vandenberg together or just at the Cape.
0: But either way, is this um, are we talking about 30 to 50 vehicles that are going to be actively in service or just 30 to 50 vehicles that will be manufactured over the course of the use of the Block 5? Do they uh, need 30 to
1: 50? Um, yeah. So the the estimate there, Elon was saying, kind of depends on how many people want to fly on unused boosters. He said if if people decide that that's something they really, really want, they're probably going to hit the 50 mark. If that's something that people begin to shy away from, which is kind of the expectation, um, just like you'd rather fly on a airliner that has 100 hours of flight time. <laughs> rather than one that's that's brand new, then the 30 is more reasonable. But yeah, that that's potentially how ma- you know, how many more Falcon 9s are going to be built for the rest of history, which is insane. Well, I suppose it's not that
0: insane because BFR is not that far away. I mean, it's still years away.
1: How how many people have predicted the retirement of a rocket this early.
0: That's a good point. I don't know, but if they have, I I I think it doesn't usually happen, right? I mean, you look at all the launch vehicles that exist now and they're decades old. Um, Yeah, this is truly a, you know, I mean, this is a huge change because Normally you find something that works and you stick with it. I mean that's kind right. of the name of the game in aerospace, but that's not how SpaceX does things. yeah they find something that works and then they design something even better.
1: Yeah very very cool. So um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, that was mentioned as a block 5 upgrade. So they they rebuilt some of their uh, some of their heat shielding. that's why the legs and the inner stage can be unpainted. Um, they want to have vehicles that can you know be watertight. And, you know, survive the environment that they're put in without having to put additional paint on top, which is like a material science nightmare. But so Elon took a little bit of time talking about heat shielding. And one of the things that he mentioned is that Block 5 actually has uh, water cooling in its heat shield. And that's it sounds like it's pretty limited. Um, but what they were finding with Block 4 was is that you know they were getting it back and there were parts of the body that were pretty overheated, pretty banged up from that reentry and so uh, to beef up the the heat shielding there they added some you know water circulators some to soak up some of that heat which is really really cool that they can do that in one spot you know or you know a relatively small area um, because they know the flight characteristics of this vehicle so well it's one of those weird things where like, You know, the lunar lander, the Apollo, the Apollo Lem had parts of its pressure vessel that were barely thicker than a couple layers of aluminum foil Mm -hmm. because you don't need to have anything more. And I think it's really cool that you can have this heat shield that's got targeted areas that are, are water cooled because you know that they're going to have issues.
0: So we're talking about the base heat shield, right? Because this particular thermal coating or whatever it is, is on the base and then on the interstage, right? And then in the middle bit where you have the tanks, it looks like that that's still painted. At least that's the impression that I got. But the brunt of the heat is being imparted on the base of that first stage. And so they have, according to the transcript here, some high-temperature titanium structure to support rapid reuse. And yeah, it says that the base heat shield will also be somewhat actively cooled with water. So um, (laughs) that's, that's a little bit vague. So somewhat actively cooled
1: yeah, so it's probably just to bring their margins down, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is a great idea because it does always look toasty once it lands, you know? Like, But yeah, I'm wondering how that's active or somewhat actively cooled with water.
1: <laughs> yeah, and is that a closed-loop system? Is that an open-loop system? Like, what does it look like to have water on board an uncrewed vehicle that's... Dan says he, he bets it's an open loop and I, I think you're probably right because they don't have radiators so it's not like you can you can reuse this steam it's probably I mean maybe they're dumping that heat into the locks tank you know that could be it could be closed loop if you're you know using your propellants to cool the exterior I don't know um, you would so you don't care about you don't care about recollecting it to reuse it you care about limiting the initial or the, the total mass that you have to bring along so if you have a closed loop system You can presumably, by not dumping it overboard, um, you can presumably reuse it and have a lower initial mass. That's my guess. I I could be totally wrong, but that's my guess. But I think you're probably right. I think it is almost certainly open loop.
0: It's not like the hydraulics on... The grid fins where you kind of want a closed loop because you don't know exactly what kind of adjustments might need to be made. But if it's just soaking up the heat on reentry, I think that's a fairly predictable process, right? Like they know what what temperatures they're going to encounter.
1: And for how long. Yeah, I, I should think so.
0: So you just put X amount of water in and you use it up and then you're good once you land. Plus, I guess without the water, it would still survive because that's what block four has done. It's not catastrophic, at least. And so there was also some mention of the landing legs and that there is a visual – like visually you can see some kind of a difference. And I'm not sure what he's referring to. I think I know what he's talking about, but I haven't noticed because I can't find any good up-close
1: photos. Oh, there, uh, there is a really good photo floating around on Reddit. The, the old ones basically had like little scallops that sat above the legs um, and now – all of that is moved inside the leg. Um, there's also the the raceway is now black. They moved the logo farther up, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't do earlier. I, I don't know why they decided to put it right in the middle of the legs because they knew those legs were coming.
0: Yeah, and the raceway is black because of that uh, that new thermal protection, right? That's uh, yeah, because yep. that soaks up a lot of heat. But yeah, with the black interstage and the raceways it's just a good looking launch vehicle. So I it really is.
1: Complain. Um, and and. Elon mentioned that he likes the aesthetics of of the black inner stage better, and I, I gotta agree. I think it it looks debonair.
0: Going back to the upgrades um, or the performance upgrades, the uh, the 8% thrust increase on the first stage. Uh, there's something similar on the second stage and just like the first stage they're not planning on actually using that for the next couple launches um, which is interesting because they they just want to play it safe and make sure that they have everything within the right tolerances. As far as I can tell that's the reason. No,
1: that, that's, that was explicitly stated by Elon. Yeah.
0: So the upper stage that also has a performance increase and I think that he said that the reason why they're not going to push it is because they're very mindful of the expansion or something to that effect, so it sounded like it was actually talking about the
1: at least in this presser, he mentioned vibration testing. That's they they right. want yeah, yeah. to try it with you know, make sure their vibration uh mm-hmm. isn't too high with the um with the new engine,
0: yeah. So it's a five percent increase on the upper or the more than vacuum engine, and uh, that brings it up to 220,000 pounds of force,
1: couple of seconds of ISP as well,
0: yeah. And he says that we are again very careful about the level of expansion of the thrust. the engines and so that's uh one of the quotes i see here and i'm wondering why they would need to be careful about that i
1: don't think they mean the the expansion plume i think they mean the increase in thrust
0: okay so he's just okay i see so he's because i was taking it literally
1: (laughs) and and so what's really interesting is that while the second stage they said they um aren't going to be using this uh or at least on this flight they didn't use Uh, the higher thrust. The first stage actually did use its higher thrust uh, for a little bit. So there's this really cool assessment by the community. This comes from Reddit user Shahar603, who's been doing um, some really cool data collection from the streams. And they actually determined that uh, the 8% increased thrust was used, but only up to the max Q throttle down at t plus 45 seconds Um, and then from there on they followed uh, previous uh, thrust profiles and so that's pretty cool because that's that's when you need those higher thrusts is earlier in the flight Um, and that's when they decide to use it it sounds like they're going to continue to do a, a constant throttle down as they go through the flight like the they're going to try to keep those um handle the over expansion by keeping chamber pressure closer matched to atmospheric pressure but uh, yeah it's cool to have that little bit uh at, at the very you know the very nose of of your flight, the very earliest bit. One final thing I wanted to mention. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about, David. But uh, Elon said he's a hundred percent sure that the second stage can be recovered, but right now it's just a question of the mass penalty, which uh, is I don't know if I'm excited by that or not because, like, <laughs> hey, yeah. we we put things into space all the time uh, that can actually return. Dragon and Soyuz, you know, notably. And so, yeah, uh, is it? the the question of mass penalty like
0: right that's not breaking news right <laughs>
1: I mean, we haven't ever returned an engine that big except on shuttle, you know, so so returning something of that shape and mass distribution is really, an, you know, an interesting question and an important question whether we can do it. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how excited I am by the idea that they're 100% sure they can do it. He kind of said
0: something without saying something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, maybe. It's kind of a no duh sort of statement. Like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> right.
1: But... All righty. There you go. That's most of our episode devoted to SpaceX. You're welcome, folks.
0: But it's exciting because it's got me questioning my doubts about SpaceX, which uh, perhaps I should not have had.
1: Yeah. Doubt their timeline. Don't doubt their ambition or ability to get there eventually.
0: for some short and sweet in what is
1: our first one mars 2020 helicopter is confirmed included in the mission so we talked a little bit about this uh last week and do be sure to check out the source link in the show notes uh, it, it includes vacuum chamber test footage at the end of like a hypey video Uh, That's very cool. Anyway, so this press release also indicates some of NASA's plans for the helicopter's career. Uh, The first flight will be to 3 meters in altitude with a 30 second hover up at 3 meters and then successive flights will be longer and longer until it's flying 90 second flights and a few hundred meters in distance.
0: And next up ULA selects the rl 10 for the Vulcan upper stage. Uh, Once again, the rl 10 has been made the upper stage engine of choice. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, Orbital ATK selected the RL10C for its Omega launch vehicle upper stage. Uh, ULA came to a similar conclusion and has selected the RL10C-X uh the X stands for increased use of additive manufacturing as well as other improvements to the engine ULA CEO Tory Bruno said the choice to go with the RL10 came down to price delivery schedule uh, the RL10 beat up Blue Origin's BE3U for the upper stage but Blue Origin is still in the running for the Vulcan 1 stage with its BE4 engine their competition is the AR1 built by Aerojet Rocketdyne so yeah the RL10 still you know it uh, it seems to continue still to kicking. win yeah, yep. um even though I think that they have a shot with with the first stage I think that the BE4 actually will be the engine that they go with because they've been helping them a lot with you know the development of the BE4.
1: And finally, Astra Space had a launch abort. Alaskan reporter Gabe Stutman was watching the Astropad pad at the Pacific Spaceport Complex during their launch attempt on Saturday. A loud boom was heard, but no rocket appeared over the trees. Uh, our assumption is that ignition happened, but the flight was terminated before liftoff. An anonymous source in a now-deleted tweet says that there was no damage to the vehicle. So, I, I think it's a pretty safe assumption to say that uh, ignition happened and they terminated the flight. So, best of luck to Astrospace in the future.
0: It was one of those last-minute scrubs, kind of like with the Electron, how there was a loud boom just after ignition. Mm-hmm. At least when it shut yeah. off, remember that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an aborted roar, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Alright, let's Let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events. And we have a couple of launches, a couple of other things, and we have a Falcon 9, right? Mm-hmm. But this is a Block 4, so. Back to block four.
1: So this is a Falcon 9 flying Iridium-6 and GRACE-FO. So I'm going to skip talking about Iridium-6 because we all know what that is at this point. But GRACE, oh, so cool. So it stands for Gravity Recovery and Climate Experiment. And then FO stands for Follow-On. So it's a joint project between NASA and the German Research Center for Geosciences. And basically uh, what it's going to do is track Earth's water movement. Movement basically through underwater cisterns in the ocean, in large lakes, soil moisture, ice sheets, all of this. And it, oh, it's so cool. Um, of course, the original Grace mission basically gave us um, the the geode as we now understand it the the lumpy version of earth uh showing earth's uh density so this is a very very cool science mission so this is flying out of vandenberg right now we just have a t0 um it may well be an instantaneous launch window, but it's May nineteenth at twenty hours three minutes UTC.
0: My guess is that it would be right because if it's launching from Vandenberg, it's more likely to be a polar orbit, and those tend to be instantaneous, I agree. right? So yeah. All right, and next up is on May twentieth, and that is the launch of an Antares in the two three zero configuration. So we just uh, so I think we got this worked <laughs> out right. So the two three zero configuration means that it is a first stage,
1: a, a block one first stage, not the block two first stage.
0: Block one first stage adapted to the RD 181, and it's two RD 181s, right? Yep. Okay, yeah.
1: As opposed to the refurbished engine that blew it up. The 3 in
0: 230 refers to the Castor 30XL second stage engine. And then the 0 in that refers to the fact that there's no third stage. So that's what the 230 configuration actually means. It's launching a Cygnus spacecraft for because O 9 And that is named the SS Junior Thompson, or is it Jr Thompson, rather? Jr Thompson. Uh, SS Jr Thompson. It's launching from Wallops Island, Virginia. Uh, this is the 10th planned flight for for the unmanned resupply spacecraft to the International Space Station. You can, of course, watch that one live. Uh, The launch window is... uh 0904 UTC through 0909 UTC so that's just a what five minute launch window
1: so this one's named the SSJR Thompson and uh, James Thompson was one of he he was a um, MSFC director a Marshall director is this the first one not named for an astronaut Yep. yeah so this this is the first uh, uh, the first Cygnus not named after an astronaut so then we have some other things so we're going to come back to Cygnus but I'm going to try to go in chronological order Um, So first is U.S. Spacewalk number 50. This is going to be pretty cool. It's going to be a six and a half hour um, spacewalk, you know, nominally, unless something goes wrong. Coverage is going to start at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, May 16th. And the spacewalk is scheduled to begin at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. So I definitely won't be up for the first one of those, but I'll I'll be watching it uh, during the day, hopefully, if I'm in the office. Then Eastern Time, uh, 4.30 is when the Cygnus is going to launch. At 6.15, uh, NASA TV will have coverage of the solar array deployment, which is pretty awesome. And then it will rendezvous and capture actually on Thursday after our next show. Um, but I'm going to mention it here anyway, and we'll mention it again next week. So this would be uh, 3.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, May 24th. Well, oh, actually, I'm sorry. The The coverage starts at 345 uh, and then the the capture is planned for 520 a.m. Eastern Time and all that of course is on uh, NASA TV so capture is scheduled at 520 and then installation is is at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Alrighty, those are your upcoming spaceflight events. With that,
0: since that's my cue to end the show, we will go ahead and do so. Let's uh, cue the music, most of which is brought to you by Ronald Jenkins. Check him out at RonaldJenkins.com and some of which is brought to you by Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut.
1: If you liked this episode, please review us on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: And if you enjoyed our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash orbitalpodcast. Thanks to our $5 and up Patreon supporters in the Ground Control chat room listening to the show live
1: you can connect with us on twitter and reddit at orbital podcast
0: you can send questions and comments to info at theorbitalmechanics.com
1: for more information on this episode such as show notes and other links please visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com be sure to check out our store for mission patches t-shirts and hoodies
0: so that's it for this week and we will see you next week on orbit until then later
1: goodbye everybody